Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. My goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Devin Criswold, a former architecture major, voice actor, bartender, and more. Now he's a site reliability engineer at LinkedIn, and we're going to dive in to learn more about his story and his transition into tech. Devin, thanks for coming on and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, James. It's great to be here. Uh, I've been listening to a few of your episodes and I'm excited. I appreciate it, man. I'm excited to learn more about you. So let's let's start at the beginning. How did it all start for you? Where'd you grow up? What was it like? Sure. I grew up in San Francisco, born and raised in the city. Went to uh, an art school there. I guess had more uh, exposure to uh, hardware if we're looking at the tech lens. My dad was in lighting and grip, so I kind of learned about like lighting boards, uh, stuff like that pretty young how those circuits and things work. Okay. Did a little bit of, uh, I was actually thinking about this question, listening to some of your episodes earlier, and I hadn't remembered this in a long time, but when I was in middle school, um, it was around the time when uh, Lego Mindstorms came out. I don't know if you remember those, the yeah. uh, Lego robots. Yep. Yeah. So I was, um, I don't know if it was like an official like science club or what it was, but you know, we, we built, built some little robots with that and took them to some competition nearby and, you know, had them like try to run a maze with a little black Sharpie line. And nice. that was actually probably my first uh, exposure to programming. All right. Very cool. So it sounds like you had a lot of support at home, which is awesome. My, uh, I guess, speaking from experience, my parents had no idea what, uh, I guess they could barely turn the TV on and hopefully you're not listening mom and dad, but yeah, it's good that you had that support back then, Devin. So that's cool. Did you play any, any sports or anything like that growing up? In like middle school, Okay. But like high school, college, not really. Okay. I, mean, I play I play like little league baseball, soccer. Yeah. I also play baseball and those that didn't play baseball sometimes don't qualify it as a sport. I do because I played. So <laughs> that definitely that counts in my book. That's running, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we got through high school. So at this point, you're in school, you're doing the Legos before. Did you have any idea what you wanted to do with your life at that point? Not really. I think I always wanted to like make stuff. I, I really enjoyed just uh, like tinkering with things and making things. I read a lot. I think I wanted to be like a detective at some point, stuff like that. You know, okay. Very open ended. You know, I think there's a there's a lot of great things to be said about public education, but I think San Francisco public education has some has some issues. For me, at least in my experience, that was kind of like helping guide that conversation yeah. of like where do you want to be, where do you want to go, and so I really had no idea what I wanted to do in school. I wasn't a good student in high school. Actually, uh, dropped out of dropped out of high school, but managed to to snag it at the last moment. And shout out to City College of San Francisco. Um, ended up getting my diploma from them, and that really like sparked a new love of learning. Yeah, because it wasn't hey learn this because we told you to. It was yeah. here's a here's a course catalog, and you can learn whatever you want to learn. And San Francisco has a great program of offering essentially free community college. So I, I yeah. Took full advantage of that. Got into like a good fitness journey. They have a great uh, gym program and you know, sports program there. Got into art. Got into horticulture. Got into solar and like kind of learning how to build like solar systems. Um, and then one semester, I found an intro to architecture class, mm-hmm. and that was my light bulb moment because. Architecture can really be whatever you want it to be, right? There's classically trained artists who become architects and there's applied math majors who do the same, right? It's really everything. That was great because I could bring 
the stuff that I'm learning about in solar and sustainability studies, I could bring the horticulture. I didn't, but I could even bring like the physiology from calisthenics and all of that stuff to bear. And then also a little bit of recognition that uh, math was not my strong suit, but you know, it's an important language to know. And uh, architecture kind of allows you to be creative and, and incorporate whatever you want, but you know, pushes you towards towards a little bit of that more quantitative understanding as well. Yeah, no, I mean, math's the, the universal language and going back a little bit, I mean, good for you for, for sticking with that, going back to school and then moving on to the community college. It sounds like you did a lot of self introspection and exploration. And I think you did it a lot more efficiently than I did it, Devin, because I probably waited until I was 30 before I started doing that when I was already working. So my order of operations were wrong, going back to the uh, importance of math and knowing that. So good for you for sticking with it again. And it just, it made me remember I came from a tiny high school and like you, I used to blame that school for not preparing me for college. But when I really reflect on that, I guess I need to take ownership in that as well. Yeah, they could have done things better, but so could I. And I was kind of on autopilot, you know, and didn't know what I wanted to do either. But anyway, you saying that really reminded me of that. So I, I feel like we're kindred spirits in that regard. Yeah, I, I would agree that like the the resources are there in high school to some degree or another. And it really do, is a is a matter of, of that introspection and figuring out what you want to want to do and, and what you want to apply yourself to. And for me, yeah, that conversation didn't happen in high school as much. Yeah, having some space and, and freedom that I found in, in community college was very important. So you're in community college, you're studying architecture. I see you also studied voice acting. I'm very interested in that because I didn't even know that that was an option. Sure. I did that for a number of years and then was struggling to support myself, dealing with like some health issues. And so like I ended up taking some time off from community college and just working um, I got into catering. Uh, one of my friends I was living with at the time, uh, one of my oldest friends actually, was in catering. And I was currently making minimum wage working on campus in like the AV department, hmm. which is a super chill job. I basically just move projectors around campus and sleep and study. Yeah. But it wasn't paying the bills. And so I, when I took time off, I got into catering. Catering was cool, but bartenders looked like they had more fun, got paid more money. Yeah. So bothered them at, an, uh, at a wedding or some event that I did and, and started doing that instead. I was living in the East Bay over in Oakland and catering's a lot of fun. It takes you all over the all over the area. You get to get into places that and I would normally not go to and meet all kinds of people. But you are also moving around a lot. Yeah. And so I found a job at a restaurant up in Berkeley and was working there for a while, kind of learning a little bit more of like a little bit more about the culture and like how to actually like make cocktails and the soft science behind it um, and some of the chemistry and stuff like that. That was really useful. Um, and that actually put me right around the corner from the Berkeley Rep School of Theater, which is an amazing place. If you're ever up in the area, their shows are really good and their voice acting school is, is also great. They do improv, they do all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, so I kind of figured I wouldn't go back to school, but this was interesting to me. So I, I yeah. kind of started studying voiceover and uh, I don't know, a year and a half, two years into that, I kind of had another conversation with myself and was like, you know, if I don't go back to college now, like, I'm just not going to do that. Mm. And so Berkeley City College was also right down the street. So 
I enrolled back in community college and, and started like hammering on those last pieces of, of my general education requirements I needed to transfer. Community colleges have a great transfer agreement with the UC system. So I applied to, actually, I just applied to UC Berkeley, which in hindsight was a terrible decision. You know, it's it's never hurts to, to hedge your bets a bit, but yeah. I don't know if it was belief in myself or just stubbornness, but I just applied to Berkeley. Yeah. Um, I finished the voice acting school. And I was getting into, you know, finding work, yeah. found a little bit of work. It's a very interesting industry, right? It's, I mean, I guess like acting like you could make so much money. Yeah. My, uh, my teacher, Sally Clausen, shout out. Mm-hmm. You're awesome. If you're listening, definitely laid out a very balanced picture, but you know, the balanced picture includes some highlights that are a little easier to hear than, than the other stuff. And, uh, yeah. Finding that, like, especially when you're breaking into that, if anybody's trying to get into voiceover or any of that, like, you are not only the talent, but you are doing your editing um, and you're getting paid per finished minute, not per minute. Mm. The ratio is difficult. Yeah. And I've got to say, Devin, I I found some of your work on your LinkedIn profile that I'm definitely going to put in the show notes. I I clicked on it, listened, and I was absolutely intimidated, which is not good as a (laughs) self-reported podcast host. So I want to ask you anything that you've heard that I might be able to do to improve my speech from one aspiring vocal perfectionist to another. Yeah, uh, my my favorite thing that I'll never forget is just like the rule of three, which you're familiar with. I should be, but what is it? If you have a list of things, you always speak in threes. So like today we're gonna talk about X, we're gonna talk about Y, and we're gonna dive deep into Z, gotcha. right? Like you're, you're able to like, counterpoint these things against each other and it just like it's memorable it allows the listener to like maintain attention they're not they're not having to like hold stuff in their memory while taking in new stuff okay and just cadence wise it, it has a has a appreciable quality i've been listening to your breath control a bit i think your breath control is great well, thank you i didn't even know breath control was it was a thing so thank you for that and going back to the rule of three i i so in my writing i feel like i probably landed on that subconsciously but it's really cool to hear that communicated. So yeah, no, that that's very cool to learn. And again, lest we forget that we're eventually going to talk about your journey into tech, I want to ask you, so during this time, when you're back in school for the voice acting, did you ever consider that you might be doing what you're doing today? Was that ever on your radar? Yeah, actually a little bit. I, I left that part out. So I had met a, a very good friend of mine at a, at a random barbecue in Oakland. And being in architecture, I was doing like a little bit of like Photoshop and, and things like that on the side. I, that was probably my first intro to like proper computers was uh, was working in Photoshop as a teenager. He was a developer and he was talking about an app that he wanted to build. And I was like, yeah, great, man. Let's uh, let's make it happen. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the visuals for you, do some logos or whatever. And it ended up not leading to anything until a year later. He hit me up and we ended up uh, having lunch together. And uh, he kind of put me on the path to like, front end development. So okay. he he taught me, you know, basics of how to build a website, HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript, showed me Bootstrap. So mm-hmm. I, I learned more about Bootstrap, Twitter's framework, and started doing some kind of simple plug and play with a little bit of build projects for people. And so while I was bartending in Berkeley, and I think around the time I was getting into voiceover, I was doing some of that. That was kind of sitting there. But I was kind of holding a lot of pieces. It was like, you know, transferring voiceover uh, software and or web, web development. And I kind of knew that like the architecture was like a really strong piece for me. Mm-hmm. 
And I didn't really see it as architecture. I saw it more as like a high level design degree. You know, I think there's plenty of ways to learn it, but I knew that like knowing how to design at a high level was important to me. Okay. Um, and again, like if I didn't go back now, I wasn't going back. So yeah. when I got accepted into Cal, I um, go bears kind of shelved the other things and, and moved towards that okay. kind of open ended question of like, how will this play out? I got some good feedback, kind of just holding those things and and trying not to be too hard on myself of not doing 30 things at once, you know? Yeah. Took me a while to get back to school too. So I, I, I was hearing your your story on your first episode and kind of, I, I definitely appreciate that. Like coming back as a returning student is, uh, it's an endeavor, you know, uh, especially when all the momentum of life is already kind of uh, moving. Yep. So yeah, I transferred in fall of 2019, spring 2020. I got to um, embrace the voiceover acting a bit more as everybody went on to Zoom. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah. Great timing to go back to school. <laughs> and then... As we started junior and senior year, you get a little more focus on kind of the things that interest you beyond the the core curriculum. Okay. And I discovered computational design and uh, it's called biomimetic design, which is like designing with uh, with nature as like kind of the like a first principle. So like whether it's the aerodynamics of a car or you know the aesthetics of a of a palm tree or something, right? Like yeah. all, all of those can be used uh, to inform design. And one of the languages that is very useful for that is a plugin for a design program called Rhino. The plugin's called Grasshopper, and Grasshopper uh, uses uh, a Python-based visual scripting language okay. to um, like generate geometries and manipulate geometries, and you can make you know visual for loops, all of these things. Now we're getting to the fun part. Yeah, and you can you know you can access databases through it and like design uh, based off of weather data and like geological data. Okay. Some standard stuff like sun and, and environment, but like you can get pretty pretty deep into it depending on uh, what yeah. kind of data you want to feed it. So that was super cool and really was kind of enabling for some of the things that I wanted to design, as well as another light bulb moment of like, oh yeah, like not only can I bring like a base understanding of programming to this, but like everything that I've done, like, you know, the bartending brought in circulation and understanding how spaces work and how, you know, you know, people move about space to some degree. And all of these things really fed into architecture. Again, like I was bringing all these like distinct pieces and I was kind of realizing I could pick software back up in that way. And kind of towards the end of it, like, you know, senior years coming around, everybody's excited to graduate. Uh, looking for work, I was kind of realizing I didn't have the same, I don't know, the same interest in architecture as, for architecture, right? Like I've, I've been pretty specific at the beginning about being interested in architecture as a high level design degree. Okay. And, you know, that kind of goes out of the mind and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be an architect. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So much work. And then heading into graduation, I was like, this is awesome. And I'm, I'm incredibly like grateful to be here and, and excited to have accomplished this. But like, you know, TBD. And fortunately or unfortunately, in the midst of the pandemic, the uh, the job that I had lined up fell through. It's a very small firm, uh, maybe eight people. So had been, you know, going to school online. I had my scholarship money. I had also been like laid off from like my bartending work. So I, I had some, uh, a little bit of support through unemployment. And it's a really weird, incredible, uh, silver lining, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was a very like interesting opportunity and, and have the freedom to be honest with myself of just like, 
telling myself, I can, I can give myself a few months to like figure this out Yeah, and deciding that ultimately that, uh, that wasn't the path for me. Well, I think you hit on something super important even before that, Devin, when you, when you mentioned all your past experiences and how they lend themselves to what you were doing next, a lot of people that I talk to, I guess, sell themselves short in that regard. So I'm so glad that you were able to realize that then. A lot of people that I talk to, you know, they say, I have no idea. I don't have any experience with management, with programming, with anything like that. But as you said, there are parallels that you can draw. Any Anything that you've been through, any experiences that you have, in one way or another, those translate into your next play. So that's, I guess, good on you for realizing that at the time. So you're going through that. It sounds like you've been dabbling with programming a little bit and a little oh, bit yeah. more so in the architecture world. And I think I saw, it looked like you had eventually an architecture internship. Was that next? That was like the summer before senior year. Okay. They had asked me if I wanted to keep working with them during the school year. I wanted to like kind of give my focus to school, but I was like, hey, like I would love to come back post-graduation. So that was yep. the, the job that fell through. Okay. And now you're finding yourself. So I didn't mean to cut you off there. So you're finding yourself. I think you eventually went to the Odin project, which I, I want to hear a lot about that. I've heard a lot of great things and I did a little bit of, of it myself, but we're not there yet. So you're finding yourself. What's next? I took some time off. I did a road trip across the country for the first time. That was nice. an incredible opportunity. Super weird to do during COVID, but incredible. <laughs> it was a very much, you know, a crossroads of many crossroads. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like, am I overselling myself by by thinking I can make this transition? And like, can I back this up or like dive back into school? You know, it's kind of like yeah. once you get out of school, it's nice to ask. And some people it's like, hey, straight on to the master's and the PhD. That's uh, not me. <laughs> yeah, no, same. Yeah, I think it, it very much was a, okay, I've got till I get back from this trip to make a decision. And so I had a month of driving around the country. It's me and my partner. Uh, we'd actually recently gotten together. We'd been together for like a month and we're like, Hey, you want to go travel around the country? But she, she worked in software. And so she was a really good sounding board for just like, Hey, what is this actually like? Mm. And and she'd worked in, you know, everything from, from UI to, to development, to, to management. So she really had a, a great uh, perspective nice. on that. It was very valuable. Thank you, Cindy, if you're listening. So coming back from that, uh, I was like, okay, um, I think I can do this. How am I going to do this? There's so many ways. You know, do I go back and go for a traditional CS degree and go back into debt? Do I do the boot camp route? Do I just try to like Google stuff and, and YouTube stuff and just kind of make things until it works? Yeah. There are too many options. Yeah, and and many reasons why everyone's the right the best one. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think at that point I started looking at the boot camp route because I, you know, I was I recognized that like some structure as well as that kind of like a, a clear time frame was was useful for me, but like I wasn't willing to go back for like another two years yeah. um, to school. I also couldn't afford it. So I was looking into programs and, you know, prices varied widely and claims very widely and promises very widely. And so I've been looking at, like, I think it was like General Assembly and Hack Reactor. I think most people are familiar yeah. to the big players. I've been looking at School 42, but they unfortunately closed uh, in the U.S. at least. Was up for it, but I was like, okay, whatever. I'll, you know, if I can pay 10k now or whatever it was as an investment for my future, that's yeah. that's worthwhile. Like, yep. you know, invest in yourself. But they were all online, and I was like, man, I just came from like a year of Zoom school, and I feel like part of this is like being around people. If I'm going to pay for it, yeah, maybe there's like a middle ground where either I can like do some projects on my own before things come back a little more in person or, or, or whatever. Yep. And so that's when I started 
coming across more consistently, like Free Code Camp, the Odin Project, 100 Devs. I'm sure there's more I can think of, but I can't yeah. think of it right now. So did you land on the Odin Project first or did you kind of dabble before you got there? Um, I dabbled a little bit. I did. I think uh, Wes Voss has a really great curriculum on his own site, but as well as uh, YouTube. I think it's called JavaScript 30. So it's just like a month long JavaScript challenges. So I did like okay. a few of those. I was just kind of floating a little bit. Yeah. Settled on the Odin project um, pretty quickly, probably because it was free. That is yeah. a very nice benefit. <laughs> yeah, doesn't hurt. They seem to have a really good curriculum that I, I recognize. Like they're pulling a lot from Mozilla, uh, the MDN docs. They're pulling a lot from FreeCodeCamp. They're pulling a decent amount from West Boss. And then like kind of contextualizing that within a bunch of content. It's very much presented as a resource that industry people wish they had mm. when they were first learning to code. And yeah. that resonated very well. I like that. There's a very active Discord community as well. So it's not like, you know, here's this website. Good luck to you. They either hide that, Devin, or I'm not nearly as smart as you because I did like the first 10 or 15% of the Odin project before I did my boot camp. And mm. I saw that they would point you in different directions and maybe I just refused to get on Discord. It could have been that. I've changed since, but <laughs> I, I was curious about the community aspect because I absolutely love the curriculum that I did with that. And it was actually the Odin project was my first, I guess, public contribution to a, a code base with nice. this. Yeah, that was the first one. It was a English typo because I guess I was honing back to what I could do best at the time. It was the first language flow that didn't make sense to me. So I proposed it. It got mm -hmm. merged in. I got the little thing on GitHub. I felt so yes. proud of myself. Yeah, small victory. Yeah. yeah. That curriculum seemed phenomenal. I ended up going with the boot camp, kind of for the guardrails and to, to force my hand, so to speak, but it, it seemed amazing. So did you get all the way or most of the way through it? Quick point about like the, the boot camp versus it bears a lot of resemblance to a boot camp. Yeah. But I think they technically call it like a MOOC, right? Like a massive right. something online course. Yep. Found that and that's the thing I always qualify with when people ask me whether I recommend it is I heartily recommend it, but you also have to know yourself. Mm. Are you okay being more on your own with things? Yeah. Right. And yeah. and going through it. Or is the structure of a more traditional bootcamp or a more traditional classroom something that's valuable to you? Because that, that is incredibly valuable. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of a reason that it can become unappealing, even if it yeah. is very attractive. With that said, I got most of the way through it. Okay. That is a split between JavaScript and Ruby. I went the JavaScript route. Kind of while I was in it, I reconnected with an old classmate of mine. It's actually now at LinkedIn um, through the Reach program as well. Nice. Shout out Kevin Reber. How you doing? He had very much done the same thing. He was architecture, uh, moved to software. And so when I was talking to him, I was just, man, like, so I want to do something different. He uh, yeah. told me a little bit about his experience in Reach, mentioned also volunteering. Mm. It's one thing to learn how to how to code. It's another thing to code as part of a team or an organization. Yeah. He pointed me towards Hack for LA, which is a um, chapter of uh, Code for America, okay. Civic Tech. It's super valuable. They do kind of a lot of the things that like are, that are related to that initial attraction I had with like being able to like drive different types of data into like, in my case, it was more like aesthetic things, functional programs that help serve the community, show food banks, show yeah. transit, all kinds of stuff like that, and uh, work with the county of uh, LA County. So I volunteered with them for a bit and kind of while I was volunteering with them and in the uh, in the Odin project, he recommended Reach. So I applied to Reach. Didn't hear back for, for a while. 
they're good at that, aren't they? They they make you wait. Yeah, help you figure out if you really want it or not. Yeah, quick question. So I think I know how the reach story ends. I wanted to ask you, was LinkedIn your first and only technical interview experience? I think this is a good point to make because I hear this from, from people applying to jobs and specifically to reach. So I had applied, I think it was to the backend and the mobile and the UI um, apprenticeships. I was originally just going to apply to... I think like the back end, like I want to do full stack, but like, okay, I can, under, I can understand this. Took a, a, a trip to, to Hawaii for my birthday. He hit me up while I was out there. He's like, Hey, did you apply for the SRE role? And I was like, nah, like, you know, I don't even really know what that is. Like, mm -hmm. just sounds like so much. And he's like, you should do it. You will thank me later if you apply for this side of it as well. And it was literally my birthday. I was on a beach in Hawaii and I just like went and found like a corner with some Wi-Fi. And like got on Google Docs and like finished writing out, you know, the version of the essay wow. or the SRE role um, and applied to it. We'll see how that ends in a moment. That's the best reach application story I've heard <laughs> yet. It's going to be hard to top a beach in Hawaii. So I'm a little bit envious, Devin. The beach didn't capture too much of my attention. That was a, it was a close call. Yeah. Yeah. I did some, uh, some mock interviewing um, with friends before, okay. like in preparation. Uh, but yes, uh, this is my only um, software technical interview. Okay, I, I did appreciate the format of kind of iterating through the essay and the technical and yeah. the you know typical meeting. My mom was a was an English teacher. I was blessed to have perspective on on writing at an early yeah. age, and so I I really enjoy communicating that way. Yeah, go mom. Um, and being able to kind of like set myself up to like, oh, what are those things that I do know from something else? Yep. that I can bring to this. Like yeah. not going to the interview feeling like I don't know anything yeah. um, was really important. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Do you want to speak to the the process itself? I know everyone is curious about that process. I don't think it's a, a guarded secret, but like what was your, your mindset like? So you did the essays, you five years later, not quite, but it felt like five years later, you hear back, you had made it. And then what, what was your mind like? It what, took a while, right? So I, I almost... You know, I guess this isn't working out in this way. Uh, man, I really should have applied to those like the Google and Microsoft and like mm -hmm. Airbnb and Twitch and apprenticeship.me is a great resource for finding other ones that I didn't apply to. Nice. I, I kind of been like, okay, well, like let's go find some clients and start building websites. Let's like let's make this happen another way and and keep a better eye on on deadlines because I didn't apply to some of those others because I had just missed the deadlines. Yeah. Um, when I found out about them. Yeah, I was, I was really excited. I was really nervous, trying really hard to contain, like, you don't have this job yet. Yeah. Just steady it up. For the site reliability engineers, I know we had Mamadou on and he yeah. talked about it a little bit, but I guess I didn't ask the question explicitly enough. So I remember him saying that, you know, he added logging and, and he learned a lot mm -hmm. during that. I'm just curious how, you know, the SRE route kind of translates with the, the back end that I did. I think it's a pretty universal take home. And then there's just kind of different focuses depending on, on where you're at. So you had mastermind as well. I had mastermind. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And I was most comfortable in uh, JavaScript at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I implemented some React and wrote it in that. It was a very long week. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So very, I'm sure you, yeah, you're well familiar with that. Yep. It definitely gives a new appreciation for like, quote unquote, simple games that you play online. Oh, yeah. Just like 
how much effort goes into it and all the little things that can go wrong. And yeah, I remember, and, uh, I remember when yeah. I did that, Devin, I probably spent, I've said this before, 70 or 80 hours on this. And yeah. there were different times when I was like, you know, I'm spending a ton of time and energy on this. I hope this yields something. It's a good chance that it won't, but I hope it does. And then I kind of also remembered, well, you know, LinkedIn is this great big company. They're also going to dedicate four hours to me. So I think the least I can do is to try to put forward the best I can, do the best I can, and, and hope for the best. So we obviously, we both got lucky in that regard. So for your day of, how did that go for you? Did it go like you planned? I guess yes and no. Um, it sounds like uh, there was, like from speaking with other uh, apprentices, like there is some variability in the order. Yeah. I've had people with like the opposite order of me be like, oh my God, I'm so glad it went this, like this order. Um, so I had my technical and then my behavioral, which is just like meeting with a manager and kind of like um, having like a full conversation. And then there's like a third piece, which is uh, meeting with a current uh, reach apprentice and kind of having like a, a bit more of a like, what's your day-to-day -day life kind of a coworker, a manager, and then just like technical baseline. Um, and so that was my order. I sweat in the technical the most. And so like getting that out of the way first uh, was awesome for me. That's so interesting though, because mine was, it wasn't backwards, but it was close because I started with what I thought was the icebreaker, that 30 minute talk mm -hmm. with the reach, former reach apprentice. And that was great. So then it was like, I want to say I was fairly calm, but that definitely, you know, calmed the nerves. It was great to talk with somebody, no stakes. Well, I'm, I'm sure there were stakes, but it was a natural conversation. And then I went to the technical and then the behavioral, but you're saying that going through the technical, you were kind of glad to get it done. And it still, obviously it worked out in the end, but you felt kind of sure. good with how it played out. Yeah. I guess the icebreaker could have been a nice icebreaker, but <laughs> yeah. I think also like, you know, doing that research beforehand um, and seeing like they, they give you a little heads up on who your interviewers are going to be. Um, so, you know, stalking them on LinkedIn and um, their GitHubs and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah. my God, these guys are really Oh, good. you are smarter than me. I didn't think to to take it to that level. That was... I don't know if it was you. a good move or not, because I was <laughs> I was very uh, nervous. Because I was okay. just like, oh my God, like they're just going to like obliterate this yeah. whatever thing that I made. Yep. It went well. I think accessibility is an important part of tech, but like, I didn't really implement it because, uh, I just like ran out of time. Yep. Um, and so they were like, Oh, well, like, if you care about it, why isn't it here? Um, so mm. we implemented a little bit of that. Okay. One of them had used to code in react. So he was super excited that I'd done it in react, nice. which, you know, luck of the draw there. Yeah. That went nicely. And then my behavioral actually ended up being my current manager oh. now, which was a, a fun surprise once when I joined. Nice. So going back to the technical, did you, for your project, did you do, do like tests, documentation, uh, like a good readme, anything like that, that you think might've helped you stand out? Starting from the front page, I think I did a good readme. I included a breakdown of kind of visually, there were some images of like what the product looked like, how to use it. I did host it as well. So it was just like, there was no download uh, required, which I, th I thought was like a nice kind of nice. like smooth transition. And then I added an admin mode just so that you could like see all the things that I, I had built. So like you could try the hard mode, but if you couldn't make it, then you could try hard mode on admin and you would know the code and yeah. um, you could you could see nice. the um, the reveal and things that I built. I tried to go um, more towards uh, like explicit naming conventions, which uh, helped me kind of keep the code a little bit cleaner and like reduce uh, the need for commenting. 
not everywhere, but in some places. Yeah, no, that's cool. And we don't want to give away all the, the secret sauce, but I think, you know, speaking to the general best practices, I think that that always helps sure. all of us. So you get through that and you said, I think you said the behavioral went well. I know you said it's your current manager and then what, what happens next? Cause I know for me, they took their time yet again. I'm curious how, how the next steps went for you. I was like, oh man, you, you must have, must have really gotten along. He's like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be you. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to keep you. Uh, that, was a, that was a funny thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, more waiting. I think I interviewed in May, right? That's yeah, right. April, May, something like that. I didn't find out till like, I think around the time you started, I didn't find out till like June 15th. I think I was just going into July 4th weekend. So I didn't find out till the beginning of July, like two weeks before it started. And at that point, I'm like, well, it starts okay. in two weeks. There's no way I got it. And then uh, my recruiter called me and she's like, hey, look, you'll get the paperwork on Monday. But I just thought like I'd help you enjoy your weekend and let you know like you got it, which was super nice because I was not going to have a fun weekend. I, I was yeah. I was prepping my partner. I was telling her, I was like, hey, I'm when I don't get this, I'm going to not be fun for a while. And she's like, oh, I know. Yeah. That was incredible. I have a dog. So I like, picked yeah. up the dog. I was like, dance with the dog. Like, dance with her. Dance with her too. But... <laughs> Super happy. Yeah, no, I remember. And I don't think we mentioned so Devin and I are we're in the same track, basically mm -hmm. the same cohort as apprentices at LinkedIn. And so you came in, I guess our cohort was kind of strange, because I was a part of the group that came in the week before our yeah. shutdown week, LinkedIn shuts down two weeks out of the year. And I felt not to go off on a tangent, I felt so guilty, Devin, because I'm there for a week. And then they're like, Yeah, you get next week off and you're paid. And I'm like, well, no, I need to learn my job. And they're like, yeah, you'll learn it later. So yeah, anyway, so you come in after that, because I remember we all got together and you're jumping for elation. I think I was working out when I got my call from my recruiter nice. and I ran into the house and told my wife. And at the time, the only downside was they were like, yeah, you're going to have to move to Omaha. Yeah. So that was a, a little bit of a curveball for me. But it sounds like for you, you're already over there in the Bay Area. I think logistically everything was yeah, sound. I, I thought I was uh, I thought I was going to have to commute down to the South Bay, which is a little ways for me. Fortunately, the, the kind of remote work is still LinkedIn's just hybrid forever is the is the way it goes. Yeah. So that that ended up being like a nice additional surprise. No, amazing. So now you're a reach apprentice, just like me. What is your typical day in the life of if you have one? I'm not sure I do. It's definitely varied. It's a mix of programming, reading, writing, researching, learning. As as I think you've mentioned in previous episodes, like we do have a uh, like a twenty percent learning time, and yeah. I used to try to like vary that out through the week and kind of just like have the last two hours of my day be learning. Um, I found pretty quickly that doesn't work that well. Um, just like I need a little time to get into the groove, and and just like I want my context to be you know richer. Uh, Mondays are my learning day, so I spend all day Monday uh, just learning. Nice. I think it was okay about it last quarter, but um, beginning of this quarter has really just kind of been planning out that learning. That's part of the learning too, especially when you're to some degree learning what to learn, taking the time to try to write my own lesson plans in a way that is like a little more than just here's some Google links. Yeah. Do you feel like you're doing a good job with that? Because I know I, I feel like some days I am, but most weeks I'm not. Most of the people I talk to struggle yeah. with that. Do you feel like you're starting to master the, the concept? I would not use the word master, but... Okay, <laughs> neither would I. I got, I got a view on it from a, from a little ways off. Okay. But yeah, nowhere near mastery. I think it really does depend on the week and it depends on what I'm learning. You know, some things are easier to learn than others. There's that murky area between like 
is learning for the things that my team is working on. Is that my learning time or is that work time? Um, and those always tend to run together a little, a little bit. And, you know, there, there is like just explicit overlap. And sometimes it's just like, I just need to learn about the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it yeah. well. It's usually my weeks are usually a mix of like learning something new, applying something new, uh, documenting something new and coding something new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. So before we jump to the hot seat, I want to ask you, so if there are any maybe current architects listening to this, is there anything that you might say to them explicitly to help go through what you went through? Anything that maybe you would have done differently or more efficiently? You mean like architects who want to make the, the transition as well? Yeah. They think they might want to do something similar to what you're doing. I mean, you guys already know about portfolios, so you're, you're, you're a good step up with that. If you, you know, you know about digital rendering, you know about touch the structural side at all, you know about analytics, you have highly transferable skills. And I always thought it's a, it's a great place to be because you can always come back with just like stronger development mm -hmm. knowledge, which uh, translates directly. I would say try to manage that work-life balance. I think from the day one of architecture school, work-life balance is not a thing. Yeah, It's easy to just like work on and on and on, but just be consistent with the time. Your success will be a lot easier to reach than yeah. necessarily just grinding it out. It can be like a very heavy grind. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you landed a company like LinkedIn, like we did, that absolutely respects that, the need for that work-life balance. And I, I know I feel blessed that we, we landed Definitely. where we did. If you are in that position and like looking to make that transition, like you're welcome to come find me on LinkedIn at Devin Criswold and happy to chat and, and talk to other people I know who are on either thinking about that transition, made that transition or decided against it and have other reasons as well. Yeah, no, I'll put that in the show notes and careful what you wish for Devin, because uh, Jesse messaged me just last night and says he gets four to five, uh, reach outs a day, nice. which is a good thing. He enjoys helping people. So careful what you wish for. But first I want to put you on the hot seat so we can better understand Devin Criswold. Sure. Let's go for it. All right. What is your typical morning routine? It's gotten a lot better. It's another thing that varies week to week sometimes, but uh, I wake up very early now. I wake up around 5.36. I go to the gym, sit in the sauna, make coffee, say what's up to the animals, and then spend some time over breakfast, just like, I guess, like watching videos. Try to keep it more educational and relevant, but sometimes, you know, it's just a, a chill morning. And then on to the workday which starts between between eight and nine and just being aware of where that puts me at the end of the day. Yeah. I like that. Starting out with the the health in mind and the sauna is, is sauna an everyday thing. Not yet. I I've been out of the gym for a little bit. So right now it's like three times a week it's at the gym. And honestly, it's like half the reason I got the membership. It's especially when it's so cold outside yeah. this, like during the winter, it's in a great way to start the day. Yeah, I know when I when I was in Sweden for that year, that was the first sauna that I ever did. And it was in the dead of winter. We went, I forget what the temperature was. We went from the sauna and then we would jump in the ice cold lake and go back and forth. So that was, that, that was amazing. So, much so yeah, if you ever want to up that, yeah, I think they have the, uh, the cold plunge yeah, or yeah. whatever for an artificial experience. All right. If you woke up with unlimited money, what, what do you think you would do every day with your time? Unlimited money. Well, I'd buy a house. I would invest heavily in climate change. I think it's an endless conversation of like where the root of the problems are um, and, and what to put money towards. But 
Um, my own bias coming from like architecture and sustainable design background has been that like at the end of the day, like we got to have somewhere to live, even if we're still figuring out yeah. how to live. So yeah, uh, focus on climate change and technology for that. Probably build a woodworking studio. Something like that. I like that. And so with your time, it would be kind of seeing through that, that vision of trying to help out the issue of climate change and the woodworking as well. Yeah, woodworking would just be the Sunday afternoon maybe, but, uh, yeah, I think the, I think the focus would very much be on like how to support people who are, who are doing that work and how to, uh, engage better through my own work Okay. or we're at an area where kind of between globalization and just like access to like shared technology and, and conversation, which is also globalization as well. Like we're at a very interesting place where uh, people from a wide variety of disciplines can communicate fairly effectively, right? Like they're just like, yeah. what you're doing impacts what I'm doing and what I'm doing impacts what they're doing and, and down yeah. the line. A lot of overlap. Trying to help make that conversation richer and more effective. Yeah. I think we're struggling with that a little bit. That's powerful. And I think Mamadou's answer was playing video games. So you, uh, you have redeemed the SREs everywhere. So thank you. Thank like you I might that. have a switch in the woodworking shop or a PlayStation or something. <laughs> what books or podcasts have had the biggest impact on you? Ooh, uh, let's see. Going way back, say one of my first favorites was 99% Invisible. Here, listen to that. It's a, it's a really good one. That podcast? Yeah, I guess. it's. I think it's sponsored by the Architectural Institute, maybe of San Francisco, and it's just about things in the environment and how why they are the way they are, like why and how the development of those like anti skateboarding, anti like homeless things on benches and stuff became a thing. And I forget what it's called, but it's like aggressive design. Okay. And and everything from that to like there's like a secret series of tunnels with bathrooms in them under the Capitol. For like statesmen to like take baths and stuff back in the day um that are like semi-abandoned and stuff well now the secret's out I, yeah someone <laughs> else broke this broke that first and then i think one of the more recent ones it's called the darknet diaries oh yeah yeah jack Resider. oh yeah i like that whether you get involved in more like the security side of things it's really useful just to have context of like the environment that i'm building in as well as just you know some really cool stories in there some there's some dark ones too so like fair warned if you yep. if you look into it but it's a it's a great one um i listened to like the daily there's a good software development one that i that i wish i could pull up quicker but i don't want to hold things up any books that stand out in your mind are you fully all in on the podcast of late uh develop yourself is the podcast books for the kids uh i recommend the way things work essentially a picture book about like popular mechanics. I think I saw that when I was in elementary school, yeah. a different ver or maybe the same version of that. That was very cool. I, I, I picture like a clock or something, inner workings of all kinds of different things. Yeah. I don't know. I, for some reason, my mind always comes back to that when I think of like the beginnings of my interest in making stuff. That's an awesome one on a very different tip. The one I've been reading recently is called 4,000 weeks. It's just about how on average people have 4,000 weeks to live. Um, it's called mm -hmm. For the weeks time management for mortals, you know, it will end someday and kind of understanding, taking that in the context of not just, oh my God, I have to do everything right now, but just how to accomplish the things that you want to do while also taking the time to breathe and, you know, enjoy the sunshine. That was especially useful when I was kind of coming out of the uh, boot camp and just like 
just very grindy and trying to do a thousand things at once. Cool. If you could send a message to your former self to help you during your transition into tech, what do you think that would be? If it's different than what you had mentioned for the architects. It's going to be all right, man. Just hang in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Simple, but profound. All right. What are you working on now? Are you trying to work your way up the, the LinkedIn SRE ladder? You have any fun uh, side projects? When I initially joined, I guess I can say this now, I, I kind of was like, you know, say transfer into college. I'll transfer in as an obscure major and then I'll go to like as an obscure major that's so I can get in and then I'll transfer to the major I want. And that was kind of how I looked at SRE because I was like, I still really don't know what this is. You know, I was reading more, kind of approaching, but still didn't really have any practical idea and joining and one of the books that like uh, we ended up having a book club was awesome. Uh, it's the Google SRE book. Um, they're the guys who coined the term uh, SRE, kind of a mash of like the software developer and the DevOps. And that's been awesome because it really just, in a way, it can also be whatever you want it to be. I have friends who are SREs who they build tools, right? Like they yeah. kind of more, more or less as software developers with an eye towards, you know, reliability. And then others who monitor critical infrastructure and, and are very much involved in like maintaining and improving that awareness. And then, um, you know, still triaging and doing the development side of things as well. Yeah. It's so cool because you can you can make it whatever you need it to be or whatever you're yeah. you're able to bring to the table um, to some degree, right? It's good context for anybody listening that didn't know what SRE was. I think even after talking with Mamadou, I, I knew a little bit, but now I have a little bit more. I don't want to say better, lest he get mad at me, but a more appreciation for what the SRE does on a day to day. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, or anything else that you think someone that thinks they want to break into tech might be interested in hearing? Yeah, I guess the, uh, on the project side, a lot of ideas kicking around. When you get into something new, when once you get past that initial kick of like adrenaline of just like, oh, something new and engaging, there's ultimately that like the difficulty sets in, right? And it's and it's easy to um, to want to pull uh, the side projects out of the pocket. Um, and so I've been trying to just write them down and make space for them and, and then put them to the side and kind of focus on on this because it is like there's still tons of new and tons of interesting. Um, so, yeah, the, the plan is just right now getting getting better at that and uh, getting to a point where where I feel like it can be like more or less like autonomous yeah. in that role. Um, not that I can hardly think of. Um, I think the, the only thing I'm working on right now is something kind of outside of I've been trying to separate the the past times a little bit right staring at a computer all day for work and then staring at a computer all day for uh for fun fun i think works for some people sometimes works for me doesn't currently work for me yeah. so i've been trying to find a place to uh to scratch that itch of of design a bit more spending more time uh i got myself a, a 3d printer a couple of years ago so I'm trying to make stuff nice. and um design some things yeah I like it. So where can we send people to find out more about you? Yeah, you can always reach me on LinkedIn, Devin Criswold. You can find me on GitHub at uh, Sparky Code. That's where you'll find me. Awesome. I'm not I giving out the social that. security number of the address today. Not today. I will put all that in the show notes. And Devin, I just want to thank you for coming on and telling your story of breaking into tech. I really appreciated having you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, James. I think this is, uh, this is another one of those resources that being here now um, feels like, you know, one of those things I wish I'd had on my way in the door. So thank you for, thank you for making this. This is awesome.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Growth Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for Exponential Growth, How to Break into Tech. If you got value from today's show, consider leaving a five-star review. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.